Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Good morning. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, to chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be today. Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses. For the next several weeks, uh, Pastor Josh and I are going to introduce you to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there are passages like Colossians 4, verse 11, and verse 14. They give us some background on who was Luke. Who was the man that the Holy Spirit used to uh, inspire these words? Well, those verses tell us that he was a Gentile. He was a co-laborer with Paul, but he was also a physician. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at spiritual health. So we're going to go in for a checkup and see Dr. Luke. The Gospel of Luke actually happens to be the longest book in the New Testament. It is a part of a two-volume set. There's the Gospel of Luke, but there's also the book of Acts. Luke wrote both of these. And so if you put them both together, together, if you count verses, I mean, that's one-fourth of the New Testament. What I like about Luke 1, 1 through 4, this prologue tells us how did the Holy Spirit lead Luke? How did he come to the conclusion? Because it's Spirit-inspired, because it's eternal, because of what we're about to read, I want you to have the utmost confidence and assurance that what God has said in his word is absolute truth. You can trust it for the rest of your life. So I want us to stand in honor of God's word, just showing our own personal respect to say, Lord, this book is so holy, it's so special, so unique, that I wanna stand in honor when I read it. Let me read these first four verses and then we'll get started. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Oh Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. Uh, Lord, your word is more valuable to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces, the way that David described it in the Psalms. Lord, I thank you that your word will outlast the grass and the flowers, outlast this world and the heavens above. I thank you so much for what you have said to us and revealed to us in scripture. And so this morning, what I want to try to do is to help your people to see how they can rely upon your word. It is trustworthy. It is truthful. And so show us the process that at least one of the gospel writers went through in order to give us this word. 
I pray that it would actually build certainty within our hearts as we look through this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Did you catch what he said there at the end? He said that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Do you have certainty about the Christian faith? Do you have certainty that Christ has risen from the dead? Do you have certainty that he died for you on the cross in substitute for your sins? There's so much certainty that can come to us whenever we go to God's word. So I don't want you to be lacking in assurance. I want you to have assurance. And I think that one thing that will build that is when you see how this word of God came to us. Would you look first at verse one in this text? The first reason why we can have certainty is the contextual connection with real life. You see, what I mean by that is it's historical. The people, the events, the teaching that Jesus did that's mentioned throughout the Gospel of Luke. This didn't just happen in some fairyland, some dream world. This happened right here on the face of this earth. Luke was an excellent historian writing about real historical people and events. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. As a matter of fact, I want to give you a sample of the way Luke did things. If you look with me at chapter 2, just the first couple of verses of chapter 2, and then the first couple of verses of uh, chapter 3. But this will let you know how he's trying to ground it in reality. He's trying to tell us this really happened. So don't ever view the Bible as some mythological book or something. No, this is grounded in reality. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And it just goes on. But my point is, notice the geographical locations. Notice how he says who was running the Roman Empire at that time. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? He's saying, I'm not making this up. This really happened. And so I want you to go back now and look at this because I really believe if you study verses one through four of Luke chapter one closely, any history professor would give this, this human instrument that the Holy Spirit inspired, would give him straight A's in historiography. You see, he researched accounts by existing historical documents. He says here, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Narratives. So the first thing I want you to know is what were those narratives? Who were those who had already written? Well, most Bible scholars say that Matthew and Mark were written before the time that Luke put together his gospel. And so I think it's amazing that he's referring to how he says, I didn't do this all by myself. I was double checking my work with things that were existing already. Paul was put in prison in Caesarea for, for two years in Acts 24, verse 27. It tells us about those two years. 
It's interesting, while he was in Caesarea, Luke had already joined him in Acts 16. So now it's in Acts 24. So Luke is with him, but he's not necessarily in the cell with him. But what I think is amazing is he could have checked with Matthew during that time and said, Matthew, tell me about this document that you've written. Tell me what you remember Jesus saying, because Luke himself was not an eyewitness, but Matthew was. And so Luke would have had opportunity to verify everything by Matthew who was there. But then what's also kind of interesting is that because of Philemon 24, we can also know that Luke was with Mark whenever Paul was in prison. So could it be that during that time, Luke was saying, you know, Mark, whenever we've been going on these mission trips, when I've been following Paul around, there's so many, they don't have a written copy of what Jesus said. I think it would be so important to have a copy. And Mark says, I've been talking to Peter and I've already been writing a copy. And maybe Luke said, tell me what Peter said. I want to know what the firsthand witnesses had to say. So he was researching these accounts by Jesus' apostles that had already been inspired by the Spirit, already been put together, but also he recorded with accuracy authentic events. But I did want to say one brief word about the word accomplished. What does it mean that the things that have been accomplished among us? When you think about the Old Testament prophecies that were written hundreds of years before, and then how those Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, they came to pass. They were fulfilled. They were accomplished among these first eyewitnesses. And Luke learned about this. Even though he was a Gentile, he learned from Paul. He learned from these others as he was following Paul around. And Paul would go into the synagogues. And Luke was probably amazed as he thought, you mean Jesus was prophesied 700 years, 800 years, 500 years, 600 years before he actually came to this earth? You see, the contextual connection to real life, I think, is one reason why you can have certainty the Bible is so true and truthful. The second reason why we can have certainty is the factual confirmation with real people. You know, I mentioned earlier the word eyewitness. Look at verse two, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. From ancient days, what's the most dependable, the most trustworthy kind of evidence that anybody can have? How can you know for certain that your evidence is reliable? An eyewitness, reputable eyewitnesses. They're the best way to confirm any facts. And so here's Luke saying, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So he's following that trail of what these eyewitnesses said. You know, I believe that that medical term there, because originally it was a medical term, it was autoptus. You know, we get our word autopsy from this word there that means eyewitness. It means self-see. It's autos and optimi. Optometry comes from to see. 
So that's part of the word for an eyewitness. It means I want to see for myself. And so Luke wanted to make sure that he got this down from the people who watched it for themselves. You know, historians later borrowed that word like Josephus and Herodotus and Polybius. Luke confirmed the facts by vetting it through real people. He talked with those who saw. He has so much to say here about the birth of Jesus. I wonder if somewhere he had an interview with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Perhaps he had even talked with James or Judas, the half-brothers of Jesus. He mentions them in Luke 8, 19 to 21. But then think about how there's two people on the road to Emmaus. They didn't know Jesus was the one walking along with them and their lives are totally changed. Their eyes are opened. How did he know that one of them was named Cleopas? I believe it was an interview. Only Luke tells us these kinds of uh, things because he was so thorough. He wanted to talk to those eyewitnesses and make sure he wrote it down correctly. He not only did that for Luke, he did that for Acts. Can you imagine someone who gathered the amount of detail to cover six and a half decades? If you start with the beginning when Jesus was born and you go all the way to where the book of Acts ends, John MacArthur says that covers six and a half decades. It's incredible. But just because someone knows the truth, just because someone sees what really happened, they know the facts, doesn't mean they'll testify to the facts. That's why it's so significant what he says in verse two. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Aren't you glad that they were willing to testify to what they saw? You know, maybe Luke doesn't say the Holy Spirit led me in this, but it's interesting how often he refers to the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. I believe the Holy Spirit was guiding and carrying along, as Second Peter says, carrying along Luke as he wrote, guiding him to the truth. He refers to the Holy Spirit more than Mark, more than Matthew, or more than John. I think that's fascinating. Some scholars say, well, really, you could call the Gospel of Luke the Gospel according to the Holy Spirit. But I think that these facts were confirmed because he met with these real people. He talked with them, just like I'm talking with you and you're listening to me. Let's move to verse 3. I believe there's a third reason why you can place your trust in the Lord. Because of the sequential compilation of real events. You know, it says here, Luke says, it seemed good to me also. He's not being critical of all those narratives. He's not being critical of Matthew's gospel, of Mark's gospel. He says, I sense that I am being called to also write. The Holy Spirit is leading me to also write. But he doesn't use his name, does he? As a matter of fact, Luke never uses his name. This is as close to a reference to Luke as we're going to get. And all he says is, it seemed good to me also. That's it. You won't hear any more from Luke himself like that. You see, Luke was saying, this is not about me. I don't want you to focus on me. This is about Christ. This is the gospel according to what Jesus Christ revealed to us. This is what God has shown us in his son. 
You know, if you go into the book of Acts, even though Luke wrote the book of Acts, you won't find Luke's name there either. Because once again, Luke is trying to say, it's not about me. As a matter of fact, he only used a pronoun to describe himself there. He used the pronoun we. He's simply expressing a call to write. The Holy Spirit is knocking on his door and saying, Luke, you need to write this. Luke, you need to research this. It seemed good to me also, he says. And so what he says is, having followed, having followed. You know, I thought that was interesting. It's like the word for exam, to examine somebody. When a doctor examines us, he examined the content. Do you know that a, a doctor of the past named Galen of Pergamon, he used that term to refer to when a doctor sits down with a patient and says, tell me, have you ever had this? Have you ever struggled with this? And he forms a medical history. That's the word there, having followed. He asked them, you guide me so that I might know how this goes along. Notice the extent of his case. He says, all things. How extensive is that? No wonder Luke's gospel has 40% more than Matthew or Mark or John. He was so thorough. He wanted to make sure he didn't miss anything. And notice how exact he was. He says, I followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account. He wanted to get it precise. He wanted to get it exact. So he says, I followed closely. I'm writing an orderly account. So what he did was he took all of these historical events, all of these interviews with these eyewitnesses, and he thought, how does this all fit together? Lord, what are you trying to say? And so he arranges the Gospel of Luke, not only chronologically, but it's like with themes so that you can follow it real easily. I thought, thank you, God, for calling this man to write. Let me move to a fourth reason the scriptures build confidence. This to me is very significant because maybe you came today and you're saying, I don't want a history lesson. My heart is breaking. My heart is hurting. I need the comfort of the Lord. And so I wanted to point out that also, I think the personal consolation for real time, real life comfort is found only in the scriptures. You know, I think it's interesting that the longest New Testament book, Luke, written by the most prolific New Testament writer, Luke, was only written for one person. Would Jesus have gone to the cross for you if you were the only human on this earth? Would the Bible have been written for you if you were the only one here? What I find really fascinating is that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write this whole thing, the Gospel of Luke, but also if you read Acts 1-1, you'll find out this guy's name is mentioned a second time, only two times in the Bible, one in Luke, one in Acts. Both times he's saying, I'm writing this for you, for you, most excellent Theophilus. You see, most excellent was a title of respect it was a title of honor. It was a title that Paul used when he was talking to a governor named Felix. Then he said the same thing when he was talking to a governor named Festus. You see, I believe there was someone, I don't know if his real name was Theophilus, but there was one person, perhaps somebody high in Roman government authority. And so Luke doesn't want to expose him unnecessarily. So he calls him, you who are friend of God. 
He was interested. He was interested, but he didn't quite know enough. So we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to think of, with you for a moment about what Luke wrote. You know, see, Luke is a lot about the gospel's impact and change on individuals. Can you think of any examples? Let me, let me help you. Luke 19 tells us that there was a tax collector who was really hated. Tax collectors back then were hated. Perhaps you'd say, yeah, I don't really care for IRS people either. <laughs> but they were hated back then by the Jews. But there was one named Zacchaeus. And in Luke 19, he was hiding up in a tree. He was trying to get in a tree because he was a man of short stature. I feel his pain. But he was up in that tree and he wanted to see Jesus because he heard he was coming. So when he gets under the tree, Jesus looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I want to go to your house tonight. And Zacchaeus could have believed it. The one who was rejected by so many other people. And maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe you feel just like a Zacchaeus and you feel like I've been rejected all my life. When is anybody ever going to say, I want you? You know, that's what Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus. I want you. I can't imagine the comfort that it would have entered Zacchaeus's heart. Oh, Jesus took heat for it too, because it says that some grumbled, but not Zacchaeus. Whenever Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home, you know what it says he did? It says he joyfully, he joyfully received him into his house. And once they had been there for a while, Jesus said, salvation has come to this man's house. What did he base that on? Because Zacchaeus said, if I've done anybody wrong, I'm going to give them four times the amount back. So I thought, wow, you know, that man, his heart was healed. His heart was comforted. Something fresh happened in his life. And so Luke is trying to tell us, bring your pain to Christ. He can heal you. What about that time that Peter, you know, Luke records this, that Peter says, I'll go with you to the very end. And Peter and Jesus looks at Peter and says, really? He says, look, Peter, you're going to deny me three times by the time the rooster crows in the morning. And Peter's like, oh, this has never happened. There's no way. Well, he did it. And the third time that Peter denied Christ, the rooster crowed. And only Luke says something very unique that happened. Luke says, and he turned, Jesus turned and looked right at Peter. And Peter saw his eyes. Peter saw his face. And do you think that Jesus was standing there saying, I told you so. I told you he's going to do that. No, I think he was like, Peter, why? And so Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Only Luke tells us that. You see, what Luke is trying to say is, would you go to the Lord for comfort? He's the one. He's the only place you're going to find comfort for your broken, hurting heart. Well, let's move to the fifth and the final reason why I think God's word produces faith. Beneficial certification for real faith. That's what I call it. You see, God's not asking you. Maybe you're saying this whole thing about faith. It just sounds like I'm being told to jump off, jump off into nothingness. I'm taking a blind leap into the dark. No, you're not. Not at all. Do you know that the Holy Spirit has inspired 66 books of the Bible? Look how thick 
the witness of God is that God is put placed into our hands. God is trying to say, trust me, just trust me. There's so much solid ground for your faith if you'll just step out on it and trust him. As a matter of fact, not Luke, but another gospel writer named John wrote in 1 John 5.13 these words, I write these things, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go right into God's presence? Do you know for certain your sins are washed away? Do you know for certain that you belong to Christ? Oh, let me tell you, you can know. And that's why 1 John 5, 13 is saying, I write these things to you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This message is about how the scriptures will give us assurance, give us certainty. And what does he say to this guy? Don't miss it. There was something missing in his life. Theophilus, he says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You see, Theophilus had been instructed. Maybe you come here every Sunday. Every Sunday you're here. You've been instructed. Maybe you go to Sunday school. You've been instructed over and over and over again. But you would say, I still have doubts. I still don't believe. I don't know what's going on inside me. There's still this insecurity. But here's what Luke said. This is why the Bible was written. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Did your grandparents, did your mom or dad, someone else in your life, they believed strongly, but you've just always thought it's fairy tale, it's myth, it's not real. Luke is trying to tell you, he's trying to assure you. God is actually trying to assure us through Luke, I am real, he is real. God wants to save you. You see, the Bible is gonna tell you the truth. The Bible is gonna give you certainty about Three things at least, uh, it'll be a ton more, but here's the first thing the Bible's gonna tell you for certain, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I, we are not gonna make it on our own. Every one of us in this room, I don't care how long people have been a part of the church or whatever, everybody, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter if you wear a suit, if you wear blue jeans, doesn't matter what you wear to church, I'm telling you, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the first thing you can know for certain is you need Christ. The second thing you can know for certain is this, there is a sentence for those who are away from Christ, those who reject Christ. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So that's the sentence. So we are under condemnation until we come to Christ. You see, our sins do deserve eternal punishment in hell. Our sins do deserve separation from God. But you see, the good news is that there's salvation in Christ. And so when we come to Christ, the good news is he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So all you've got to do is say yes to Christ and you move from being under condemnation to what Paul says in Romans uh, 8.1, there's now no condemnation. 
Now, to those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. See, Luke 1.1 is not really Luke's first appearance on the biblical landscape. No, his first appearance was in Acts 16.10. And here's what it says. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, just some pronouns. But what it tells us is, Luke said, I'm going to obey what I know. Have you obeyed what God has shown you already? You know, I believe that the Lord wants you to be spiritually alive and spiritually healthy. The very first step is that step of obedience where you'll say, okay, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Would you make that commitment today? We're going to sing a song that says, I surrender all. Would you just completely surrender to the Lord today and say, Lord, I want to give it all to you. I want to follow you. You've given me enough truth in scripture so that I know I can follow you. I can trust you. He's reliable and he's faithful. Let's all stand together. I want to pray. Then I'll stand down front. If there's anyone who needs to, needs to make that kind of commitment and you say, I, I don't know how to do it by myself. We'll help you with that. If you'll just take that first step to say, you know what? I know I need to surrender all. I'm ready today to surrender all. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for just inspiring Luke to write the gospel of Luke. We can trust it because you inspired it. It's the truth. It's eternal. Uh, but Lord, um, I thank you for giving us some insight into how you led Luke. It, he was so thorough. And that was all you. You were guiding him in how to do that. You brought him into the lives 